Just go. Yeah, I got a gig tomorrow night, man. Yeah. <laughs> go. This is Penn Sunday School, Ready, Jonesy? Nervous? You're scared shitless. Okay. Here we go. Brothers, sisters, siblings. You wait till the... You're the... You say, now you go. Now yeah. you... Brothers, sisters, siblings. Welcome to another edition of Penn Sunday School. I'm Mike Jones, incompetently filling in for Matt Donnelly. From show no, creator... then they're singing again. You stop. Now you go again. You told me I was Matt King. <laughs> Show Creator Studio Studio South. And now your host. Now your host love. Preaching love, Penn Gillette. I thought for sure, Jonesy, that you would know when there were vocals. I should have studied this much more. You're playing on the very cut. I know. On the very cut you were fucking up. You were playing <laughs> I, piano. I know. I know. I, I, it, it all hit me so fast. It you know, I so, just, uh, I, once again, you make me miss Michael Goodell. Well, we all miss Michael Goodell. So we're talking jazz here. You didn't even introduce the people that were I, on here. You didn't give me a chance. You haven't shut up. No, well, they, I just got on. You the, had got, your time. My time the was time was the introduction. I was given instructions by by Ready Rich to say these even, things. You haven't even welcome said, to Penn Sunday School. You haven't even said with Jeff Hamilton, Penn Gillette and Jeff Hamilton, world's greatest drummer. Yeah, I was disabused. You know, I introduced uh, Jeff Hamilton as one. Of the best drummers, and uh, you said to me, name two others. <laughs> <laughs> so I don't. I no longer make that mistake. Uh, it worked. So, huh? so this is this is the uh, the trio. Yeah. It is that yeah. has the CD out with me playing bass and Mike Jones playing piano and uh, Jeff Hamilton playing drums. Indeed, our fancy new release on Capri Records. On uh, Capri Records. Are you sure you three guys know what you're doing? <laughs> well, as I often say to you, Penn. I know that nine times out of ten, a D minor chord goes to a G. <laughs> but I'm not too good at the voiceover shit yet. <laughs> no, but you, uh, you, uh, you, you stumbled through. You got well. through. But uh, everyone who listens to this uh, podcast has heard multiple, multiple times my, uh, my, my, my stumbling, uh, my stumbling journey into jazz. But what interests me, and I also know a lot about Jonesy, so I'm going to talk mostly about you, Jeff. Oh. Now, you are just an RCH older than me. We're about the same age. Mm-hmm. And uh, so you you were growing up in a very similar environment to me. Where? In California? Uh, in Indiana. It's close. Yeah, it's close. Indiana. And uh, so you were in the same cultural environment that I was. Basically, yeah. And you took the road to jazz. Right. How do you get on that road in the 70s? Well, culturally, thank you, 60s. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, culturally, uh, there was an advantage because there were three great jazz musicians coming from Richmond, Indiana, my hometown. Mm-hmm. Uh, Harold Jones, a drummer, with Tony Bennett mm-hmm. uh, most recently. Uh, Andy Simpkins was George Shearing, Sarah Vaughn. And Joe Hunt, who played with Astrid Gilberto, Stan Getz, uh, and taught at Berkeley for 30-some years. So these people got out of Richmond to do this. And a lot of, and I talked to them about it. They said the music school system, the, 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 the system in the public schools was so great. And we had great educators that would encourage us. And we just kept sort of achieving the new award or first chair this. And, and uh, So it was through, 
it was through the school system well yes and at home i mean my my parents you know my dad was in Patton's army and and um, the wartime big bands were the thing and so we had a lot of big band records in the house i grew up on those i didn't grow up with my generation's music in the house. Yeah, that's that's what I'm really... Okay. You know, I didn't grow up with my generation's music in the house because uh-huh. my parents were, were older and they played swing stuff. Right. But I just got this, you know, the 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 advertising power right. of, uh, of rock and roll trying for that youth money, just sucking right. up right. all that youth money they could right. and spending, you know, enormous amounts of money yeah. to tell me to not listen to anything but rock and roll. Yeah. Yeah. You know, whether it's Ed Sullivan or whether it's the commercials right. or whether it's the monkeys, Hard Day's Night, right. boom, boom, boom. And I'm really fascinated by people who are, are in that same culture and decide to go into a different kind of music. So you were easily swayed. Easy, well, no, no. I was as easily swayed as every other fucking yes, human being on the right. planet except you. Well, you're me right. Too. You're right. I, uh, <laughs> my dad. I was 12 when the Beatles came on Ed Sullivan, and I I didn't think they were all that great because I'd been listening to Buddy Rich and Gene mm-hmm. Krupa, and the Basie Band and Duke Ellington. And Ringo did just did Ringo. <laughs> no, and, and I'd already been taking drum lessons for four years, and my drum teacher was a big band guy, so I was getting it every place that this is the this is really difficult music to play, and mm-hmm. you seem to like it. And what they're doing drumming-wise is considered a little simpler than what you've been studying. So it didn't hit me. I went And I went to school the next day, and I realized in my sixth-grade class, I was life was going to be very different for me because everybody in the school was gaga over, over the Beatles. So uh, it was sort of a realization. And, and like I said, the music didn't really reach me because uh, the power of the bassy band or the big bands was sure. really what I liked. Well, you can't really um, – we're only talking – culturally mm-hmm. because you that's a very very different thing than the actual skill involved right. and i think one of the reasons the skill level was so different was we were we were at a different part of the evolution of jazz mm-hmm. you know i mm-hmm. mean um the really earliest earliest jazz you know, turn of the century jazz would have been simpler mm-hmm. than the big band jazz you were listening to yeah and the rock and roll would have at least got a little more competent, you know. Yeah. Oh, yes. As definitely. Get, as as you got further sure. into into rock and roll, people could actually play. Stuff. Absolutely. Um, no, there, I'm not. I'm not implying that every every rock drummer right, okay, is, exactly. is, is a I'm lizard. Saying, but you're right. I mean, it, it, it it's because a different point in the evolution. Like the Motown drummers were jazz influenced, you know. Mm-hmm. So you hear that in the groove that they played. And uh, a lot of jazz drummers did go that direction, and you, you, especially the shuffles and those kind of feels, it's in there. You, you've got to mm-hmm. grow up with that to play that. But another, another aspect of Richmond, Indiana is Jeanette Records was there, and Hoagie Carmichael mm-hmm. recorded Stardust there. Louis Armstrong brought his group from Chicago because it was better recording quality at Jeanette Records in Richmond, Indiana than in Chicago. And there are great stories of him having to stand outside the door to get the mix right around the the horn that they're playing into uh, to get the the mix of the band. So I mean, there's an early history of music in in Richmond. So we have we have New Orleans, Chicago, Richmond. Richmond. Is that exactly. what we're, is that what is that the argument we're yeah, making? Yeah. Here? Did, did you have another question you wanted to ask me? <laughs> <laughs> and you know, it, it's also um, certainly could not have been uh, could not have been further from a dead end you've certainly had as much success drumming as you certainly would have had with a rock and roll band 
I mean, with with the Di- I never stuff, thought about that. The Diana stuff and all of that. Yeah, your pop success mm-hmm. is actually way beyond where you would where you would be if you hadn't swung those eights. Man, this is great. Can I come back next week? <laughs> sure, every week. Uh, it, it's it's really, uh, but it's really interesting to me to jump out of your culture and still find music. I mean, you're you're going. Your love of music is going to be purer than someone who joins a rock and roll band when they're 18 and learns in their mm-hmm. garage. Mm-hmm. You're more attached to the music and not attached to the we're a group of friends that want to form a band. Yeah, I think I think no, I was I, I think I was strange because I knew I wasn't strange with my peers. I mean, I got along with everybody in my school, and you know, was band captain and all that. But I knew what By I. By the way, wa- band captain is not being popular in school. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I, I, if no one disabused you of that in your youth, it's about time you learned it now. But it is in band. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, if you wear a letter jacket with a harp on the back, it's like a bullseye, right? Yeah, exactly. yeah. yeah. So uh, I, I don't know. I, I just I knew what I wanted. I knew what I loved to play, and I just nothing else was really doing it for me like that. So I just kind of stuck to that. And then the little successes, like winning a contest and whatever, would were just sort of uh, supporting that. And I just kept doing it. Well, you know, I, I in my high school band, I was also a drummer. Uh, J- uh, Jonesy, did yeah. you leave the car running? <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's, it's and, down there. And I was the snare player. Which means I was the best drummer yeah. at Greenfield High School. Now, Greenfield, Massachusetts, as you probably know in terms of music. Oh, there's nothing. <laughs> I'm waiting. Never one thing about a Greenfield I believe. I believe Louis Armstrong flew over Greenfield <laughs> once. <laughs> that's, that's as close. Yeah. That's as close. What was your first, uh, what was your first professional job as a drummer? Uh, I got paid by a local piano player there were two piano trios believe it or not in my hometown mm-hmm. acoustic tri- gut string bass player oh really yep no amplifiers a spinet piano and i had to play a lot of brushes which paid off yeah uh so i was 14 and we played a uh, a pool party at someone's house and i i don't remember what i made but i got paid for it and i kept working with leo and dean ryan until I went to Indiana University, Friday and Saturday at Elizabeth Parker's restaurant on Main Street, <laughs> in the picture in the front window, and there was another trio in town at Denny's. It was after Dentiman, D-I-N-N-I-E-S, and there was a piano trio out there, and Carol Carol Woodward, and they liked the way I played brushes, and I she said, "Do you know how? Do you know the song Squeeze Me' by Duke Ellington?" I said, "Yes." You want to sit in? Yes. You want to come on Tuesday, Wednesday, and Thursday when we don't have a drummer? So I didn't get paid for that, but I'm 14, 15 years old getting this experience. And then eventually they were playing what? Six nights a week? Uh, Yeah. 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 (laughs) Yeah. yeah. So I I, I was fortunate, but but I also was studying the music at that time. I was a big Oscar Peterson fan, Mm -hmm. studying all those arrangements. And they played a lot of those types of things. Errol Garner, Ahmad Jamal. I love piano trios and big bands were my two genres that I was really drawn to. And then you, you, you know, how'd you get in with uh, Diana? Well, she came to study with me to jazz camp uh-huh. when she was nineteen because her favorite record was Montreux Alexander, Monty Alexander, John Clayton, and me, mm-hmm. and that was the first record I was ever on. Oddly enough, but she came to the camp to find out the inner workings of that group. I mean, how do you play music like that in a trio? Mm-hmm. And uh, I heard her play, and I said, you have so... She didn't sing at the time, piano player. And I said, you have so much talent. What do you want to do? And she said, I want to be a jazz piano player. 
Who do you want to study with? Jimmy Rolls. He lives in Los Angeles. We can set it up for you, but I want to talk to your parents on the weekend when they come to the festival. Mm -hmm. Everybody agreed. I told Ray Brown about her. I told John Clayton. John and Ray and I all wrote letters to the Canadian government. Ray wrote his on a napkin. You're <laughs> like, you're out of your mind if you don't let this girl come down to Los Angeles, something like that. And uh, she drove down and, and lived in L.A., and John and I worked with her to uh, get her first CD together, which was uh, Stepping Out, and the rest is like... And know. it wasn't until she started singing that she started making money. She was actually making money. She made more money as a singer, mm -hmm. but she was she was working as a piano player. She was in our Clayton Hamilton Jazz Orchestra. She was doing trio work in, in Boston, you know, uh, Jonesy. So when Jonesy starts singing... Is he going to oh, have the success? There you go, of Diana. You think? Yeah, that, yeah. Just he's just I, waiting long. I've just been waiting longer. Exactly. <laughs> I'm waiting for the big opportunity. My response uh, to Jonesy was, was the same thing to Diana. You're a piano player who might sing, but you're a piano player. And boy, was I proven wrong. You know? yeah. However, she just invited John Clayton and I back for three weeks this past July on tour. And it was like old times. And what's, what kind of places you playing? Uh, we played the Montreal Jazz Festival two nights. Mm -hmm. We played some wineries in Canada and the United States. A big uh, casino. I can't even remember the name of the town in California. And we thought, oh, this probably isn't going to draw it. Greatest audience we had. And I, I don't remember the town. Hollywood Bowl. That was your trio? At no, it was it was uh, Clayton Hamilton Jazz Orchestra and Diana, Diana and us, mm -hmm. and it was a, a big deal. It you, was... can do the, you can do the other billing here. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> do, you, that, that's fine with that. Okay. Do the billing the way you want it. Okay. Well, in that case, in Clayton Hamilton. Hamilton. <laughs> yeah, yeah, right. Yeah. Hamilton Clayton Jazz. In that case, yeah. the big band was very busy the next night, so the trio performed at the Smith Center here in Vegas with Diana. So, <laughs> right, right. Yeah, and that was the end of uh, our three weeks. But it was like, it was just like, it, it's. I always say, it's, people say, well, well, so what's she like? I said, it's like watching your your little sister do well. Oh, that's great. You know, she just, we're very proud of her, and we love her, and she's just. I, uh, I only met her through Elvis. Oh, okay. Yeah, because yeah. I, I knew Elvis just a little bit. I don't know Elvis well, uh -huh. but I, I did a thing with him on Broadway, and uh, we've kind of been in touch over the years. Oh, so he's so great. He was, he, I was introduced to her uh, through Elvis. His knowledge of music. The first time we met, at, we had recorded in New York for one of Diana's records. John Clayton and I were there, Tommy LaPuma. Mm. She said, can I bring someone to dinner? And we said, well, okay. And I, I saw them meet in Australia, so I knew that he was a fan and, mm. and vice versa. But being out socially, without, well, I wonder how this is going to be, you know. And he was he was very quiet through most of the dinner, and we got stuck on who the bass player was on a Charlie Parker record, mm -hmm. you know. And uh, you will at a, at a dinner with musicians, yeah. and like, oh man, we got everybody in the band, and he quietly says, "Tommy Potter," and we <laughs> said, "Tommy Potter, that's it." <laughs> you know, so uh, he's very very knowledgeable yeah. of of. Wasn't his father a musician? Yes, a uh, cornet or trumpet player. Right. Yeah, uh huh. Yeah. Swing, a big band swing. Uh, yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. No, he like you. You know, he he was brought up with uh, the the swing music in the house too. You know, just well well rounded music. You get, you get sucked over <laughs> to the rock and roll. Yeah, yeah. He fell for the advertising. <laughs> uh, here we go. Um, Easily swayed. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, it really is falling for the advertising. Well, you know, well, I, I, I moved right through what they were what they were pushing. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I grew up with two player pianos in my house. And, you know, my dad listened to Teddy Wilson, Art Tatum, yeah. Fats Waller, Oscar Peterson, and a lot of big band stuff, Tommy Dorsey and that stuff. But, you know, my friends were all listening to ACDC and Led Zeppelin. And, 
you know, I, I went over. Which was, when you were a child, was old music then. Well. ACDC and Led Zeppelin. Uh, I was 10. Yeah, exactly. 10, 11. Yeah. yeah, I mean, I mean, I think Zeppelin three came out in seventy one or four came out in seventy one, mm-hmm. and I probably got introduced to it, you know, when I was fourteen. So you know, seventy six, seventy five. Mm-hmm. I could hear what they were doing, but I, I, I still enjoyed it. I didn't, I didn't shun it. Mm-hmm. You know, I mean, I, 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 I'm more, I was much more interested in on a clear day by Peterson than I was in, you know, uh, when the levee breaks by Led Zeppelin, but I could, I could listen to it all. And then in high school, I played in a lot of bands that played cover rock and roll, but I wasn't as much of a purist as, as you, but well, I, the, the whole thing about sound, I think is what got me. Gene Krupa got me on sing, sing, sing when I was five years old, calfskin heads on old radio King drums and that uh-huh. big warm sound rub-a-dub sound that and, just, and the heroin it's <laughs> <laughs> that's where the real warmth comes <laughs> uh, so that was the sound that i got i had in my ear and i played casket heads for 20 years i mean i that i really I, yeah I, I guess i was a purist i get yeah yeah that's why well, the cows really hate your records <laughs> <laughs> well i got i gotta ask because you mentioned it uh the the first record i heard you on i didn't know it was your first record with Marty and john mm. That came out in I think seventy seven, uh, when I yeah was we did it in seventy seventy six and I I got it in seventy seven I was at Record Theater in Buffalo and I saw Buffalo this, another another set, hot bed, yeah. <laughs> hot bed of hey Doctor Lonnie Smith is from Buffalo um, and Lonnie Smith and, right and, and Lonnie Liston Smith and <laughs> it's really funny because they gave Doctor Lonnie Smith the key to the city but they had Lonnie Liston Smith on oh, it oh man. Uh, but well, listen. If you're if you are a Hammond organ player in Buffalo, and there's another Hammond <laughs> organ player in Buffalo, pick a different fucking band. right. Exactly. That's all. I mean, Doctor is not going to differentiate no, you no, enough. No. No. <laughs> I mean, but, just pick just pick a Muslim name. Yeah. Like everyone yeah, else. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. Um, Get but, a hat. Get a hat. Uh, <laughs> he had a hat. He he. Oh yeah. Well, I I once said to Doctor Lonnie Smith, I said, you know. Nice what, hat. What, I Don't said, you nice, say? No, I did not say nice hat, asshole. Um, <laughs> but uh, I said, you know, you, you're dressed like, uh, you know, what, what's up with this? What's the, with this clothing? Are you some sort of is this a religious thing or not? And he looked at me and he said, it's comfortable. There you go. Yeah. And you know, yeah. and he so he knew how to dress. Now the Sun Ra Orchestra, uh-huh. their outfits were not comfortable. No. <laughs> Putting no. tin foil on your head no. and wearing it for a whole show. Not comfortable. No, we were in fact they breathe. were in Montreux and uh, and they and they Just marched. Recently. No, when we did the record in '76. Yeah, and they were marching around. Mm-hmm. The, unmask the, the Batman, palace. right? Yeah. You got to unmask the Batman. <laughs> Space is the place, yeah. and the, every. Uh, I mean, it, then Clayton and I said, "This is some out stuff." I we we <laughs> never think of doing this, but it's you know. And then we grew the, learned it's Sun Ra. You know, that's it. Well, but, you know, uh, tin foil. Sun Ra is one of those people that I don't think was lying about being from Saturn. I think he was wrong, but I don't right. think he was lying. Those are two very different right. things. That leads us back to, are you sure you know what planet you're from? <laughs> yeah, I saw, I actually, you did too, but I actually saw Sun Ra live at the, at the bottom line. You saw him too? Yeah, I saw him in Boston. Yeah. Um, and uh, and then we saw him when we were on Broadway. We saw the band. We saw the with band. Marshall Allen. Marshall Allen. And it was unbelievable. Wow. It was a great show. Wow. So let me ask you a question. The first time that we sat down and talked, 
about music, you wanted to know about Ray Brown. So when did all that happen for you? You know, one of the great, perhaps the greatest jazz bass player, we might say. Well, I, I've, I've told this story before, but it's very, very important to me. Uh, I went to see uh, Ray Brown at the Blue Note, and um, I just started playing upright maybe for a few years. And uh, his sax player, whose name I've now forgotten, um, Ralph, Ralph Moore? Recognized me. Okay. Okay. And uh, he, he liked the Penn and Teller stuff. I believe he'd even saw our show live. And uh, so he came down to talk to me during one of the breaks. And I told him I was learning upright. And he said, you know, do you want to meet, uh, do you want to meet Ray Brown? And I said, well, yes, very much so. So I walked into backstage at the, uh, when the show was over at the Blue Note. And I said, I am, I'm Penn. And Ray Brown said to me, you're very heavy cat. Is that right? You're very heavy cat. He said, you're like a classical guy or a, or, or a bluegrass guy? And I said, uh, no, I, I, I'm actually a magician. He knows me because I'm a magician. He said, but you play bass. And I said, yeah, but I, I'm, really, I'm really a magician and a comedian. And he said, all I know is you're a very heavy cat. <laughs> so forever, Ray Brown, knowing I was a right. bass player, said, a very heavy guy. Right. What you, more do I want? That's well, that, all you need. <laughs> that will be in all the advertising for the CD. Yeah. Um, <laughs> but you heard you first heard him at like what age were you? Oh, you know, were you aware of that? I got to the point as a rock snob where you have to spill into jazz, right? Right. In order to be condescending enough. <laughs> you know, when you've listened to all the can and the magma and, and, and all those European prog rock bands, yeah. you have to cross over and buy like sketches of space, <laughs> right? That's like the first one you buy in the kind of in blue uh, and, and you buy, you buy those things yeah. and then you get a few Coltrane. Love you, Supreme. Yeah, yeah. You get those and that is part of the rock snob right. thing, right? right. And, uh, and, uh, Rock stuff. I like yeah. That. yeah, that's, uh, that's, that's, that, that is part of that Yeah, because when you are going to talk pretentiously about idiots, uh, banging things, then you want to know the people that can actually play. So you throw them into the conversation, although as though they were the same, right? You know, you got Miles Davis and Johnny Ramone. You know, you throw them, <laughs> and and that's the way you get to be a proper rock right. rock star. You're validated. So, so I was hearing that probably, and I, I this is this is the weirdest confession ever, but probably the first time that I heard Ray Brown and knew I was hearing Ray Brown was on Martin Mull's records. You're kidding. Oh yeah. Because Martin Mull would have monsters uh, on his records, yeah. just monsters on his records. And I would look, you know, because I, I was a big fan of Martin Mull's writing and performing, and I'd seen him live a bunch of times. I'd fallen around when I was out of high school, and um, I was a huge fan. And I'd look at the backs of the records to see who the personnel were, hmm. and they were all people from really important jazz records. And that was so strange. He was essentially doing comedy albums. He was doing comedy records. That's funny. And the music was really perfect on it. So when I finally got to be friends with Martin, I said, uh, "How how did you get how did you get people like Ray Brown on your stupid comedy records?" <laughs> and he said, 
you just call them up and pay them. <laughs> he said, you know, most people, when they get in the studio, they use friends of theirs or guys they played with on the road. Mm -hmm. He said, I was going to the studio. I had a budget. I said, if I'm going to try to make a record with music on it, I need all the help I can get. I will hire the best in the world. And he said, I was recording in L.A., and the L.A. Sessions guys, you call up Ray Brown, you pay double scale, he shows up. Right. He shows up, and you tell him what the records are you're playing, and he does not care <laughs> that you're a comedy goofball. He plays his ass off. <laughs> and he says every take is perfect, uh -huh. and it's better, and all I had to work on was the comedy and the guitar playing and the stuff I had to do. I didn't have to think at all that's great. about anyone else in the band. That so that's probably when I first heard him. That explains the Fernwood Tonight band. Colin Bailey, one of the greatest drummers in the world, was yeah, in that. Yeah. You know, he would all he would always work with really really good yeah. people. And it's it's amazing how that's a revelation. Hmm. It's a revelation. Oh. And who did he have? He had he had, uh, uh, he had Tommy Tedesco yeah. in, in 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 that band. Uh, he had, I mean, monster players, yeah. you know, um, and, uh, but on his records but, on, on, Oh, like, he have like Kenny Burrell or someone and playing the, guitar. That weird cut. He did the blacks are giving me the blues. <laughs> oh uh, yeah. I, I believe it's Funkadelic behind him. Wow. <laughs> it's just, it's just like yeah. people you can't possibly get. And he brought him in and you know, we're doing a, uh, we're doing a comedy funk thing here. Okay. Well we can play funk. <laughs> Smart guy. It's really smart, yeah. and it's funny that no one else did it. No. Yeah. But also, I mean, what fascinated me was finding out how good a guitar player he was. Yeah. Well, Martin Mull is a fabulous guitar player, but not trained, uh -huh. uh, which is really funny. He told me this story, and uh, Lorne Michaels said to him, I'd like you to lead the Saturday Night Live band in 1975. And he said, sure. I'd love to do that. I'll, so he was going to be the band on Saturday Night Live. And uh, Lauren Michaels said, you put together your musicians, you do all that. And they started to do that. And he started to bring in guys to work with. And then Martin Mull said, oh, by the way, Lauren, I, I, I can't read any music at all. <laughs> and Lauren said, well, how are you going to run a live television band with like 15 pieces every week and martin said i quit <laughs> <laughs> now that's comedy <laughs> yeah, exactly so uh so uh he was supposed to be and i also don't don't know if you uh if you know this about martin mull but it always kills me he was at you know martin mull is one of the only people i know and phyllis diller was another one who can do three things. He can do three things. Most people are lucky to do one. Most people can't do one. He can do three. He's a very competent guitar player. He is an incredible comedian. And probably the thing he's best at is an artist. Really? You know, And he's, um, he's world, worldwide known as an artist. And he was, he was a professor at RISD. Wow. So he was at the Rhode Island School of Design. And he'd come down weekends and play guitar with all the bands that were in the village then. And one of the guys said to him that he played with, I am going to England 
I've got some money now. We're putting together a band over there, and I'd love you to come and be uh, and be my rhythm guitar player. And Martin thought about it a lot and decided to stay with the art mm. at RISD and also doing comedy. Mm. And that person's name was Jimmy James, <laughs> who was going to work under his real name, Jimi Hendrix, uh-huh. over in England. So he was going to be the rhythm guitar wow. player yeah. of the Jimi Hendrix experience, wow. which is just, just mind-blowing. Yeah. It is. It's. It's. He's. But his artwork is is amazing. If you just, I think you just Google it or go to Penn's house. Yeah, I, you can. I, have, I have some. But he really is. He actually has. Uh, 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 his most success is in art. If you if you just want to look at his income tax return, uh-huh. his most success is in art, and then in comedy, and then in music. But he uh, he can really he can really play. I mean, he's at the level. As good as you can get right. without reading a lick of music. Right. Yeah. <laughs> right. Well, and, and an actor. Yeah. On top of that, he was in a sitcom with my sister in law. Yeah. You know, it's like he was wonderful in that. And he, he's he's always good. He's good at everything. It's just uh, it's just heartbreaking. That's too much talent for yeah, me. It is. It is. And Phyllis Diller was the same three things. She huh. could play concert yeah. piano. Right. I knew that. Incredibly funny and a wonderful artist. Hmm. Uh, it's just, uh, you know, those of us who struggle to do one thing, yeah, it's uh, it, it's remarkable. Well, you do, you do, you, you're a good musician, great well, comedian. Well, thank fair you, fair magician, fair magician, passable. Um, you know, I, I've said this, um, but what the first time I saw you play or knew I was seeing you play, which was with Jonesy, mm-hmm. and uh, I guess saw is the right word because I, I'd heard you before that a lot, but uh, seeing you play was amazing. I've said this before the hardest job of a drummer and i guess this is true for any instrument that's comping but you're able to do this thing that is i don't think it's involved with skill it's just taste Hmm. where you are able every second your mind goes over to what's the drummer doing there's something fascinating going on but you're never pulling focus and that is, um, that's really difficult. And you, you see drummers fuck it up all the time. Because you would always prefer a drummer to be invisible. Everybody prefers that. <laughs> <laughs> but to be, to be truly supporting and stay interesting all the time is just a, 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 fascinating, a fascinating thing to see. And even in some of your heroes, that's not as true as you are. You may be the best at that. I could not believe that any second I wanted to listen to you, there was something fascinating. And yet when someone else was playing, you could go into the background. It's just it's just a beautiful thing how that's done. Thank you so much. That's one of the nicest compliments I've ever received. Well, it's really, it's really, it's really beautiful. And how many different sounds you're doing and how you're able to get into those sounds once again without pulling focus. It's really um it's a cinematic thing. Yeah, it's it, your arsenal of 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 stuff of a, of a lifetime of knowing what to play when is always in play, and it, you just uh, there's only another like a couple of drummers I've worked with over the years that can come close to just what I call just creating this bed of comfort, you know, where the where there's the the, the groove is there, everything is so you can just relax, lay back into it. And it, it's like, you know, it, it encompasses everything. 
couple of others. Do you, do you have their names? By yeah, well, one of them. Well, yeah, they, he always busts you on that, you know. He will no, always no, bust no. you. If you were going I, to put him in a category with others, have those two names well, here it is. or shut the fuck up. Here, That's the way Jeff works. Go ahead. Here it is. Uh, the, guy, one, the guy, one of the guy I'm thinking, the guy I'm thinking of mostly is a guy named Jim Gwynn, who was a drummer in Boston. Who you, I don't know if you ever heard of him, but he, no. Played with the pops uh, uh, for the past I trust 10, your 15 judgment. years. Yeah. But he had it, but he's dead. So you're he's all set. Dead. He's dead. He's dead. Um, well, we settled that. But uh, <laughs> yeah, no, it was, I mean. There, and I believe you have an alibi, right? You must. I, yeah, he wasn't. You, you were somewhere, Jeff, when he died. Right? Uh, no, not really. <laughs> I, I, wonderful drummer, though. No, I, he was. He was a very yeah. fine drummer. But he was one of these guys that I'd do a session with him, and he's playing really tasty, nice stuff. And then we go in to listen to a playback, and he's out at the piano playing Oscar Peterson's oh, yeah. rendition of People. Yeah. Then we go out, and he's playing Gray Sargent. He's playing his guitar. He's playing a Joe Pass chord. He was just a, a you know a freak, but he's dead. So. Wow. <laughs> well, now did you ever you ever play anything besides drums? Uh, I mean, you do you you do all the melodic stuff too, right? You do the vibes and stuff. I was forced to, yes. Uh, <laughs> well, I, I was the youngest of three uh, siblings, and everybody played piano except my father. And so I was going to be the only male child to come up in the Peter Duchin or, you know, that type Ooh. of thing. And I didn't like the piano. And I started piano. I like this. Don't, don't blame me. Like, piano I don't, players. Yeah, I, yeah. Let me finish. <laughs> 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 so I like to say that, that I borrowed this from Peter Nero. And, and incidentally, I started piano at five and I quit at 530. <laughs> yeah. So I just I, the teacher said he has he has good rhythmic ability. He needs to play an instrument, but he hates the piano. Don't make him do it. He doesn't want to do it. So three years later, they they believed that I really wanted to play drums. And at eight years old, I got a, a snare drum. And you really you really gravitated toward drums right yeah, from the very beginning. Right from the very beginning. Yeah. And then to get into music school, you know, you have to learn all the mallet and uh, instruments. And temp they were trying to make me a timpanist, and I could do it. I didn't enjoy it. And I just couldn't wait to get out of school. To I, I was ready to go on a band bus at 15 years old. You know, I, I tolerated high school, but we had a good music program, so that that was easy for me to do that. But back to back to some of the heroes that you mentioned of mine, and the people that I had a wonderful opportunity to play with at an early age, would point out things to me. And you only tell me once. My dad and my drum teacher were like that. I'm going to tell you this one time. Don't make me tell you again. So you're a quick learner. Band leaders like that. They don't have to tell you time and time again how the introductions go. Remember that tomorrow night, right? <laughs> <laughs> well, just tell me again right now so I get it clear. <laughs> so so uh, those people were guiding me. In fact, when I was 15 years old, I was in a college band, a Quaker college in Richmond, Indiana. It didn't have any jazz drummers. And uh, they came over to the high school and got me in the, the 20 one or 20 they didn't have any drummers not not there's for jazz. never been a shortage of drummers anywhere <laughs> well they were rock and roll drummers okay. they, they couldn't play in jazz so it was all buddy rich charts which i had memorized so it was mm -hmm. the worst thing and the best thing for me you know mm -hmm. so after the first rehearsal the lead trumpet player who was a senior came over and he said uh, kid you sound good for 15 but do you realize how many rim shots you're hitting on the on the snare and i said no he said every time you want to bring us in you hit a rim shot and then you play the figure with us, hitting rim shots. Do you know what that's like playing with you? And I said, no. 
He said, I feel like you're screaming at me. I just want to play music with you. Oh, that's nice. So those kind of things, you know, uh, to this day, I don't hit very many rim shots. <laughs> and and if I do, I mean to hit it, you know. So so the guidance of, of Monty Alexander and... It's not and, because you have trouble lining up the rim with the snare with the stick? <laughs> well, that's not the reason? Okay, occasionally. <laughs> Um, Oscar, I mean, all the, all the people that the, I, I played with all the people that I set out to play with and you learn from them cause you want to be there, but you also do your homework so that if you get the opportunity, you're the only person they're thinking of in that chair, hmm. you're going to play like you've been there your whole life and you know, the music, the same thing with studio work. If you go in and they put up something to sight read, you got to sound like you played it your whole life. Mm -hmm. So that kind of training and preparation got me from one gig to the next and remembering those tidbits that Ed Thigpen would tell me, the great drummer with Oscar Peterson and Louis Belson, a dear friend, gave me a pocket watch, said, Ooh. you don't need this to keep time, but I want, <laughs> but I want you to have it. Uh, you know, you just remember all those things. Ray Brown, you know, uh, lean on it a little bit, Hammer, you know, things, just things like that. And those are, those are in your head mm -hmm. while you're playing. And you don't want to you don't want to do anything to take any attention away from anyone, but you want to be a part of it is what I'm I'm thinking of. And I offer what I have to everybody else in the band and in the room to come into the beat, the groove that I'm that I'm playing. And if they don't want to, don't make them. But you've got to be comfortable with what you're going to offer. Mm -hmm. So that's always that's kind of like the overall a short you know uh, explanation and why I do what I do. It is completely transferable uh what i love about uh discussing any branch of art with anybody is it's all the same you know made me laugh so much i was taking bass lessons with maury loudon who was a great upright bass player and he would come over and and teach me and i had of course that advantage of learning older and after you've had some success you can actually get someone who's really, really good to teach you yeah. right at the beginning, which of course a 12 year old wouldn't have, right. you know? So Maury would come over and Maury said one day, uh, which I just love. He said, uh, after we're done with, uh, with the bass lesson, could you help me with some juggling? Cause I, uh, I've been doing some juggling and I want, I want some, uh, I want some help. And I said, sure, we can do the juggling afterwards. We're playing the bass. And Maury's saying to me, listen, your, your shoulders are all tense. Relax your shoulders uh -huh. and trust where the beat is. There don't is. run to the beat. Right. Let it land and play it. You don't need to rush. Just trust that the beat is there and it's wow. going to go and great? relax your shoulders. We put the bases down. We started juggling. And I said to Maury, Relax your shoulders. <laughs> Trust the beat. Trust yeah. the gravity. The time is going to be there. The ball is going to come down. You're rising to it. You're jumping the beat all the time. Relax into it and just trust it. And I'm sure when you're learning skydiving, they go, yeah, yeah. relax your shoulders. Trust. <laughs> Before Shopify, were you wondering, where are my sales at? Now you're selling with Shopify, the global commerce platform supercharging your selling. You have no problem selling online, in person, on social media, and beyond. Gary, easy on the cha-ching. <clears throat> oh, sorry, but my Shopify sales are through the roof. Start selling with Shopify today and discover how millions of businesses around the world use Shopify to ignite their selling. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash listen. Shopify.com slash listen. Yeah. Josie, before, before I forget this, I'm going to totally change the subject. 
because this is one of the funniest true stories I know. You have to tell the story about your drummer oh. getting sick oh, in Jesus. Chicago. Do you know right. the story? I don't think so. Uh, this, it, it's, it is it's, one of my favorite stories. It's, I've told it many times because it's it's really is one of these. So I I, I play the Green Mill uh, every year for over 20 years. And uh, there was a guy named... Oh, I should should I say his name? Don't say no. His name. no. There was a there was a guy not named um, <laughs> who was uh, for the first few years I played with him and and and, and, a, and a great bass player in Chicago. Uh, so fine drummer, great timekeeper. Played on Woody Herman's um, band. So no, no, he's still safe then. Okay, <laughs> um, but this guy, this guy was a fine, fine brushes player, fine player, but he sort of somewhat fall apart on fours. But he was a really sweet guy. So anyways, I go in for Friday and Saturday night. Saturday morning, I get a call. And I say, he said, it's like 7.30, 8 o'clock in the morning on Saturday morning after the gig. And Friday night, he was saying that his, his foot was bothering him. His leg was bothering him. So he calls me. He's in the hospital. And he's got this horrible infection in his foot. And he's not going to be able to make the gig. And he, he's really a sweet guy. And he says... I'm just so bummed. I'm calling you. I got to send in a sub tonight. And I'm really, really bummed because, man, I know once you hear this guy that I'm sending in, you're not going to ever call me again. And, and, and I'm really worried about that. And I said, don't worry, man. Just get better. Split second. He goes, as a drummer? <laughs> <laughs> and it was just... <laughs> and, and he sent in this great guy that I love, Eric Monska, who played with Patty Barber and, you know, fine player. And I never called the poor guy again, <laughs> you know. Uh, but yeah, wow. just get better. You, you just have to have a list of substitutes who are just a little less good than you. Wow. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. Wow. <laughs> uh, well, Frank Cap, the great drummer, said, you know, later in his career, he says, uh, Hamo, you know, he's from Massachusetts, yeah, too. He, he says, uh, I've been hummed out of so many gigs. I said, what are you talking about? He says, well, every time somebody wants to bring up a drummer's name, they go, oh, what about Frank Cap? And the whole band goes, hmm. <laughs> 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 That's great. Uh, wow. Geez. So, uh, Some story. <laughs> I want to talk. I want to talk a little theory of drums with you. In rock and roll. I am one of the only people who hates ride cymbals. Hmm. If you want to make me happy in a rock and roll band, as little ride cymbal as possible. I also, one of the people that believes in rock and roll, at least, it's not the drummer's job to keep time. It's the drummer's job to accent. All right. And to uh, to underline, mm -hmm. and the 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 job of time is more the bass player and the rhythm player in uh, in in a rock band, and that constant, you know. And I think the the one I like the least on this is Ringo, just that constant eighth notes on everything, just filling up that top, you know. Whereas you've got Maureen Tucker in the Velvet Underground, who doesn't even have ride cymbals or a hi hat around. It's just all on other drums. Mm -hmm. And you've got the band which plays, you know, you've always got uh, Levon Helm mm -hmm. playing halftime mm -hmm. on the ride instead of that. But in jazz, it's different. And what do you see? Tell me what the ride symbol's for. 
Well, I think it's different within jazz, within mm-hmm. all the, the different uh, genres that ha- they have dumped into mm-hmm. the category of jazz because they don't know where else to put it. Mm-hmm. So smooth jazz, there can be the bell of the cymbal that, that mm-hmm. you go to, but not the cymbal as much as you do the mm-hmm. bell because it's more accented. It's not such a wash of sound, mm-hmm. a spread of sound. But the ride cymbal from the early days uh Papa Joe Jones is one of the people who who gets credit for going from because time in jazz started on the snare drum, dup, 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 and the bass drum, boom, boom, boom. There was no hi hat. There's no cymbals. Mm-hmm. That was where the time started. Then rims, the baby dots, and others. Duddy Singleton then, and they progressed to adding a low boy with your left foot, which is now the hi-hat, the two symbols that come together. That's why it's that you, called the hi-hat. It's called the hi-hat, it, but it was called, that's also why it's called a sock symbol, because right. it was down by your socks. <laughs> then, oh, really? Yeah, it was. I a, always it, thought it was a sound. I it was, was a, sh- a short. Onomatopoeia, but it's not. It's no, not, it was a short. It's, well, it's, that's that's what I was told yeah. anyway. So it's that level, and you couldn't play it with a stick, or you'd have to have back surgery. You know, so so they so Joe Jones is one of the, the, the reasons it came up to the height where he could play with the Count Basie Orchestra. And then the ride cymbal, if the band was going to be louder than the hi-hat, you needed something to fill out the band. So that became the ride cymbal. When the band starts riding out on the shout chorus, Mm -hmm. they need something to match the intensity of what they're doing. And that was sort of the evolution in in, a nutshell, uh, how the ride cymbal became important in jazz. A few years later, Kenny Clark, when bebop came in, that became the staple of your time, not so much anything else. The bass drum right. in the 30s and 40s was still very dominant. Big bass drums with paintings on the front of a sinking ship, you know, in a lake <laughs> with a light bulb inside to keep the caskin heads tension. And well, that, that's, 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 yeah. Yeah. And it also looked great, but it was to keep <laughs> it, it, 26 inch bass drum, the head's going to, if you're in a plane outside in the rain, it's going to go flat, you know, so you keep the head tension. Then the bass drum became less important as a timekeeper audibly. Drummers still play the bass drum four beats, but you couldn't hear it. You're just supposed to feel it to get out of your way playing the bass and just accent the four beats you're playing on the bass. So to me, there's not really one or the other in jazz Mm -hmm. that is the timekeeper. Everybody has to have good time. They have to bring it to the bandstand, and they have to offer it to everybody in the band, and somehow... It's going to work if everybody's willing to make that work. Now, there's some people that just aren't supposed to play together. Not everybody's your best friend. Mm-hmm. But but generally, you'll be put with people where you trust, as you mentioned before. You have that trust of who you're playing with that they're going to let you in and you let them in also. And then I also pinpoint in two bars who I'm going to trust time-wise. Sometimes piano players will be in their own world, and they'll be floating over what you do, so I can't trust what they're doing. They have a good time. They're just not playing it, but they have a good time within. A saxophone player, you look at their foot, it's like, that's the guy. His time is exactly where this feels good to me, and I offer what I have to that. And everybody else just sort of falls into place usually when that happens. There was a bass player, Monty Budwig, who played way ahead of me the first time I played with him, and I was getting, my shoulders were up, <laughs> and I thought I gotta I gotta mention this to him and fix this, you know, because it doesn't feel good to me. Plas Johnson, Pink Pan- Panther, you know, mm-hmm. tenor, it was his group. My first gig in L.A. the first day I got there, the Baked Potato, and I've been there. 
Yeah. Okay. So they, they they've been gone back to jazz one night a week now. So right. uh-huh. so Plaz turned around after the first tune away from Monty Budwing. He said, "Just play with me, Jeff." I said, "Okay." Monty didn't hear it. Taps off the next tune on the on the hoop of my bass drum. Stands right in front of the bass drum. I lock in with Plaz Johnson. Mon- Monty Budwig and I oh, dear. are playing quarter notes like this. Oh. I'm that far. He's that far ahead of me. I'm right with Plaz. I ignore Monty Budwig. And at the end of that set, I walk over to the bar where Monty's already ordered a bottle of beer. And I know exactly what I'm going to say. You know, be diplomatic, whatnot. And he turns around and sees me 10 feet away. And he says, young blood, you sure sound good tonight, man. And I said, uh, you too. And I turned around <laughs> and walked away. <laughs> so uh, I think we have to be careful who we now, designate who's right uh, when we're playing but, the time. But th- that's a really, that's the kind of story that makes me nuts. Um, is that the way he wants to sound? Yeah, that's he where wants, he heard it. He wants to sound ahead of the beat. Yeah. Where where you are? Yes, you know it's it's my thing. I always say to Josie, which because it's not in uh, in in jazz, but the band faces with uh, with with Ronnie Wood yeah. and and that sound that they have has always since I first heard it made me nuts. Mm-hmm. And Jonesy says it's because the piano player is ahead of everything, right? Right. And Ron Wood is behind He's behind everything. everything. Yeah, it's it's just this. There's a sloppiness. I mean, if you listen to a song, there's they're all in there. They're all playing four beats a measure, but nobody's <laughs> playing them at exactly the right. same time. Right. You the, know? the beat just happens to be wider. Yeah, you real wide. That. You know, there, there's a great example in jazz of Ray Brown and Elvin Jones playing together with Cedar Walton, and that's a wide beat. Yeah. They're flaming through the whole thing. Neither one of them minded it. It just makes the beat bigger and fatter to some. To some, it drives them nuts. Yeah. But but it they're playing within the beat where it starts and where it ends. <laughs> um, some people would say that you know the, the bass players that play on top of the beat aren't on top of the beat. They're behind the next one. <laughs> so you know, I, it's I think in jazz, it's there's a little more give and take in understanding where everybody wants to put it. In the other genre you're talking about, maybe not so much. Uh, I just saw Earth, Wind, and Fire the night before I came to Vegas, and it was just phenomenal. John John Paris is he'd been 23 years. He's been the drummer. I've always loved Verdine White, and they all have their thing, and they're a lot of to if not all is to the click. But you still, when I play with a click, I make the click work for me. I I'm not. You played when do you play with the click? With a gun to my head. <laughs> I like the producer said, uh, "Can you play with a click?" And I said, "Yes, and I can without too." Yeah. You know? when, when would that? When would he, uh, uh, what? <laughs> Whoever says to you, "We want to click on this." Jack Jones record we just did with wow. Joey D. Francesco on organ. Wow. Who, who the fuck wanted the click? Tom Scott is a producer, and he was producing a Jack Jones record, and he wanted to add things. David Foster, everything I've done with David is to a click. Really? So he can add things to it and maybe duck you out if he wants. Oh, yeah. <laughs> and, I would Yeah. I would think that 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 a click takes away um a reasonable percentage of why you want Jeff Hamilton. Yeah, I I ignore most of it and I and I'll 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 wave around it mm-hmm. and 
a lot of times I'll just say, give the click to me. Mm-hmm. Don't give it to the rest of the band. Oh, I see. And, and when they lay back, I know how to lay back with the, the shout chorus, but I'm still keeping it moving. Mm-hmm. And then when it's out, I can get back with the click easily. I can ease back into it, and you don't know any difference. I mean, if I you're see. listening to it, and you even have a metronome, it doesn't feel like it does when you're playing with it. So, wow. Yeah, I, I'm not a I'm not a fan of the click, no. you know. especially well in jazz. Most of the recording I do doesn't ask for it, but it, mm-hmm. it but it it it's happened. Yeah. One thing that that fascinates me about the cultural difference between rock and roll and and jazz that I find so fascinating is that um, uh, rock and roll. At least we're talking uh, white rock and roll. In 60s, 70s, 80s. That's all I'm talking about. I'm not talking about the other culture around that. The bands were formed by groups of friends who wanted to play music together. Yes. So the designation of the instruments had to do with whose basement you were practicing in, who could afford what instrument, and who, you know, for instance, in, in the Beatles, which is a, which is a, a fine example Paul had no desire to be a bass player, no interest in bass whatsoever. He was a guitar player. And then John Lennon, in some arguments, killed their bass player. Right. I mean, or the bass player died <laughs> yeah, from, from a head injury a of, after John was kicking him in the head yeah, with his yeah. boots. So he, that, so he never got better either. <laughs> he, never, he never got better. So the bass player's gone. So because John was more of an asshole and older, said to Paul, now you're the bass player. So that's that's that whole yeah, band. Yeah. And if you listen to, for instance, The Who, there is no designation of who's doing what. Some would argue that Keith Moon is the lead singer, you know, because yeah. the way he plays drums has nothing to do with the way other rock drummers play drums. So you have bands that are not interchangeable at that time. Mm-hmm. And yet you can go to a place in... Tokyo, where people are playing bebop jazz, and you can walk in and say, I'll play drums, and your place in that band is already set, right? Jazz is, is that because jazz has been around so long and so many things move around that there is a position that you know for drummer on that? Yes, if you've done your homework, which mm-hmm. is the big problem with jam sessions or jazz players they haven't done their homework Mm -hmm. you know they if you're going to study jazz now you got you got 123 years of work to do (laughs) during the pandemic i went back and studied jimmy lunsford's band more fletcher henderson i got stuck on the nat cole trio 45 and 46 and they didn't even have drums so (laughs) so you're you 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 do your homework oh, that on was the, the good years. <laughs> <laughs> you would have loved it, <laughs> and no ride cymbal. Well, yeah, yeah. Well, blonde on blonde, the Bob Dylan album, very little ride cymbal. Yeah. I just don't like that whole top end cluttered in. Now that's why I bring it up to you because when you're playing, there's nothing that just goes all the way through. You're moving around the kit. There's there's all sorts of ideas there. It's the idea that. The the metronome 
should be hidden from the audience. Yeah, true. <laughs> and and that's what bothers me about ride symbols. Yeah. In in many cases, it's letting the audience hear the metronome, and I think that's disconcerting. It's insulting yeah. as a listener, right? Yeah. Uh, I think choice of symbols is a big part of this. A lot of drummers don't. Are, don't you have your own brand of symbols? Yeah. Why do you think I brought this up? <laughs> Subtle. He's quick. Yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah, the Hammertone series made by Sabian. They're all hand-hammered, which warms up a, so a sound of a cymbal. Uh, Machine-hammered cymbals will tend to be harsher sounding, which is probably what you don't like. Thicker cymbals can have an offensive sound in a lot of uh, settings that don't require that. When I let the stick fall on a cymbal, I actually think of letting a knife drop through melted butter. I want it to be a soft touch and the wrist. No, there's no arm and very little arm involved. It's, it starts with the wrist. Like you're shaking water off your hands. That lets the stick get the sound of the cymbal. And you can determine if it's a good cymbal right away. But a lot of drummers, John Von Olin, my teacher, who was on Stan Kenton, Woody Herman's band, in 73, I studied eight months with him. And he turned me around from a Buddy Rich wannabe to getting on the Tommy Dorsey band. You know, so... Mm -hmm. He knew what he was talking about with the ride symbol, and he said there are two kinds of drummers. You might want to follow this the rest of your life. There are drummers who love to play the drums, and there are cymbal players that mm -hmm. use the drums to work with the cymbals. Mm -hmm. He said, you're, right now you're a drummer, but you're on your way to being a cymbal player first and adding the drums to the cymbal, but you're, you got to know how to play the cymbal, how every stroke you play is going to affect the music, to take a back seat for a couple of bars or to inspire for two beats or to answer response, it's instinct. Mm -hmm. But also awareness. I'm aware, I'm a little aware too much. I know what's going on in the audience when I'm playing and I wish I didn't. <laughs> but I'm aware of every what everybody's doing on well, the bass. Well, you know, stand. when the bass solo comes, they're having conversations. Most of the right. time. <laughs> <laughs> On some recordings, I wasn't sure. <laughs> no, but it's but it, it. And what can I do to make make things sound as good as they possibly can? I always played it to. What can I do to make this player sound better than they think they can? Even that's. I'm always thinking that without forcing it in, but mm -hmm. offering what I have, and then they're going to tell me if it's not quite what they want. You know. When I had to play, you know, just recently when Teller was doing, I mean, what is it, seven eight years ago now. Um, when Teller was doing the uh, Dove routine, the Johnny Thompson Dove oh, yeah. routine, and I had to play, uh, I had to play drums on it. You've never heard in uh, in light jazz playing more four on the floor. <laughs> no, it was it was it was there was, was not knew. a lot of subtlety in your playing. Um, it, but when I, I listen to uh, when I listen to jazz drums, uh, it fascinates me the independence of the bass drum that the bass drum is really a separate instrument. It seems like in, in rock and roll, the drum kit is one idea. And in jazz, you really get the bass drum and the snare drum not doing, I, I mean this in a positive way, not a negative way, yeah. not doing one thing. Right. Right. But there's really stuff going on, and that independence right. is, is, is fascinating to me. Yeah, early on, Oh, I don't know, 12, 11, I guess I was. And um, uh, I just started taking drum set lessons because I had to win a snare drum contest and I couldn't enter it until I was 12. Uh -huh. Then if you win it, then you can get a, a, snare, a, a, snare, a, a drum set. 
Wow. So now it's like, man, I've got these machine gun hands. Whose feet do these belong to? Mm -hmm. And you had to learn independence. And so you start with the four beats on the bass drum, two and four in your left foot, and keep everything going with your hands. And I could do that okay. Then they started saying, think of your bass drum as another left hand. Mm -hmm. <laughs> so play the ride cymbal as it is, dang, 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 keep the hi-hat on two and four. And whatever you play with your left hand, answer it with your bass drum. Boom, 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 boom. So you're you're breaking your right foot into being another left hand. Now I can't do everything with my right foot that I can do with my left hand, but it opens up that whole world of I can do call and response here within my. Yeah, that's that's you know when when I was trying to learn independence in in drumming, I had to put something on automatic pilot. Yeah. play the other things. Yeah. When I hear you play, I can't find you putting anything on automatic pilot. Try not to. Right. But uh, but what's so instinctive is the ride symbol just becomes your voice and it just it's on its own. I mean, you just mm -hmm. have to let it go and trust that it's you've spent enough years trusting it that it's going to be okay and then throw anything else. And you're going to play stuff that's going to you're going to play yourself in a corner. But you remember what those things were, and then when after the gig, you break it down independence-wise, mm -hmm. and so that's never going to happen again. Now, speaking of independence, uh, Jacob Collier and other people I've seen do it, lay their hands out and do two, three, four, five, six, one on each finger. Can you do that? Hell no. <laughs> <laughs> and, and, and how many albums can they use that on? <laughs> <laughs> no, I've never tried it, but I don't think I can. You know, that's it's uh, just uh, the limbs. I can do. Uh, I have a better shot at doing those things, but not not digits. And the uh, the, the 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 question uh, really that I'm you know Johnny Thompson was uh, our mentor and manager. I'm doing three against two right now with index finger and the middle finger. Oh, there you go. I quit. That's it. That's <laughs> <laughs> it's it's when you bring the five in. Yeah, forget it. <laughs> Johnny Thompson, who was who was our mentor and one of my closest friends and and the best magician uh, well that that I ever met. Johnny Thompson was uh, was 80 years old and Johnny Thompson was the best in the world and he was a consultant uh, for us and for many others, but we had him on payroll. Johnny would practice card magic and new card moves. You know, there's this kid in Japan that's starting to do this. He would practice an hour a day, which does not sound like much, but an hour a day when you're a full-time worker is mind-blowing to me. When I try to get time every day to juggle or to work in a card move I want to do, that's a long time. Now, do you practice? No. 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 Since I was 19, John Von Olin told me I had enough technique mm -hmm. to last me the rest of my life, and I needed to stop focusing on it. I need to learn how to play drums and support other people I'm playing with and play music and forget about technique. Yeah. And I was playing every night with sure. top right. bands. Sure. And so you keep your hands and your, you know, but I, my, my technique is relaxed. I, I'm I'm not I don't consider myself a real technical drummer. I can pull off things from the snare drumming days, but I don't go for. We argue. He pulled off a we, few things. Yeah, yeah. yeah we, we 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 tend to argue with that assessment. Uh, but but, uh, but the 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 concept is relaxation. I can take two weeks off, go on a vacation, 
come back, and sometimes it's even better, except the up-tempos take about a week to get where I want them to be or where they're comfortable. I can do them. They're just not comfortable for a week or so. Mm-hmm. But somebody who plays kind of stiffly and, and the shoulders are up, you know, yeah. they're going to, they, 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 those, a lot of those people practice every day. Louis Belson had spent at least an hour on a day on a practice pad. Wow. And I just, I never, after I quit snare drum studies, I was like, I, I want to play this whole instrument, you know, and mm-hmm. I can make it work. If I, if I run into something I can't play, then I'll sit down. In three minutes, I'll visualize how the limbs are supposed to lay around the drums. I'll sing it, which I'm a big, big supporter of. If you can sing anything you want to play, you'll be able to play it because you're you're inter- right. internalizing how it's going to lay at your instrument. And so, there's a lot of studies on that, by the way, that yeah. even things like tennis, right? Uh, that uh, that if you if you can visualize it mentally and right. and juggling things that you would think it wouldn't help at all, mm-hmm. uh, they've done a lot of studies where it's tremendously helpful. Yeah. Yeah. So, uh, also, I, I, tennis, you brought that up. After 35 years, I had an effective, somewhat effective serve, but it was the wrong technique. I never, I didn't mm-hmm. take tennis lessons until I was 30. Mm-hmm. So, I blew the ligament off my right elbow and had to have it reattached. The surgeon said, You're overusing your right arm. You're playing three sets every day, and then you're going to work with Ray Brown every night and Gene Harris. <laughs> said, you need to cut something out. Have you ever made a dime on the tennis court? I said, no. <laughs> <laughs> Put the racket down, you know. So, so it's, it's, it's that too. You know, you got to be aware of, of, and I knew I was hitting the ball wrong, but I couldn't stop. I loved hitting the ball hard like that. And I just, so it's my own fault. Mm-hmm. You know? It's funny. Uh, I, I was, years and years ago, I was taking, I thought it, it, I would take some Kung Fu lessons. Kung Fu! Kung Fu him. You know, and I was doing a lot of studio work at, in Boston. And while you were and, doing um, the studio work, a and, lot of people were coming in and attacking you. Well, That's occasionally, <laughs> mostly in the hallways. Um, but uh, so, you know, I, I, I went in, you know, I was doing all the stretching and all the all the katas and whatever. And the guy, the guy said, well, next week we're going to work on starting to break some boards. And I walked in and my friend John Keel, who's very wise, who ran Soundtrack Studios, I said, oh, I think I'm going to learn how to break some boards next week. I'm starting to get in shape. I like this. And he said, let me, let me get this straight. You spent your entire life making your fingers work in, in you know, micro movements, and now you're going to smash them against a piece of wood for no fucking reason. <laughs> and I said, oh, yeah, yeah, I guess that's not a good idea. But it's, yeah, it's, it, I don't practice. I mean, there's a funny story with Benny Green. So I was, you know, Benny practices a lot. Yeah. And I was back at Scholars one time. We were there till like three in the morning and I'm sitting with my brother and Benny says, I want to get a couple hours in before I go to bed. I said, oh man, that's something. And he said, how, he said, you got great technique, man. How, how many hours a day do you play? You know? And I, and I'm going to let him down easy. Right. So I start saying, you know, I, I like to get, you know, an hour a day in. And, and my brother butts in and he says, he hasn't practiced since 1983, you know, <laughs> and Benny's face just dropped, you know, but, but I mean, I was playing a four night, five night a yeah. week gig, six yeah. night a week gig, four hours a night, you know, it's. Well, there's always the, um, the, uh, the stories of real, real funk musicians. If you ask them to play their instrument without the band playing, they have no idea what you're talking about, you know, because the. The idea is that there is a band playing and the idea that one person 
could figure out what they're doing without the whole band playing yeah. is just a completely foreign, mm-hmm. yeah. foreign idea. And some of those, you know, some of those bands that have been playing their whole lives together, it is one organism yeah. that, that works all with the works all together. Yeah, no, I agree. I think there's been a lot of focus on, uh, analyzing what people are doing. And I, I, I'm guilty of transcribing a lot of my early heroes and, um, Jimmy Cobb on Kind of Blue, drummer on Kind of Blue. I didn't meet him until I was well into my 30s, and he played Los Angeles, and I went down to meet him, and I'm standing at the foot of the steps at the side of the bandstand, and he, the room empties out. He comes down, he starts to come down the steps, and I said, Mr. Cobb, my name is Jeff Hamilton, and I've been a huge fan of yours for many, many years, and I've transcribed so much of your work. Thank you. Then he goes, you don't have to tell me who you are. I know who you are. And I said, Oh, well, thank you. Well, since you know, then I'd like to point out that, you know, since I transcribed you so much, that you're playing the wrong sticking on all of your ideas. <laughs> and he just laughed, gave me a big bear hug. He said, let's go get some coffee. And we hung out the whole break. Oh, that's you know? great. <laughs> it's like, and, and here I am writing everything down because Philly Joe Jones used certain sticking on things and they were playing a lot of the same ideas. But you can't. You can't hear them. Yeah, you can. Yeah, but I could. I, but I couldn't with Jimmy Cobb. I, I just assumed when I transcribed Philly Joe first, and I took a lesson with Philly Joe, so I saw him how he did it. Mm-hmm. I assumed Jimmy Cobb was using the same sticking, and it wasn't. He was alternating everything and not using any diddle sticking, you know. And so he he got a kick out of that, you know. But I had to go back and change all the sticking. You well, know? that's always uh, that. When I would take drum lessons, I remember a drum lesson. And I've never gotten this question answered. <laughs> We're working on paradiddles. Uh-huh. And he says, you have to make every hit exactly equal. And I said to him, then why are we doing it? <laughs> 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 if you can't hear it, right. then it is not different. Right. And uh, when I'm sitting around nervously doing paradiddles, I always try to do it just alternating and say, can I hear the difference? Yes. You always can. And you can always hear that, right? Um, no, you can make it sound pretty. I mean, I can make paradiddles sound like a single stroke roll, but you're, it's the whole technique that they want you to do to lift the, the second stick, the bounce. So it's mm-hmm. single right, left, right, lift on the second right, right, mm-hmm. left, right, right. So it teaches you that snap up finger control to make it sound like it's even. So now you have the option to make it sound even or make it sound like okay. you want it to sound. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. No, I can play paradiddles. It'll sound. It'll sound like a roll. Mm-hmm. You know, everything's pretty even. And, for the and then you just decide. Yeah. How you want to do? Yeah. That. Okay. I'll give you that. <laughs> I'll do it. I'll do it. I'll do it tomorrow night for you. Yeah. <laughs> During the bass solo. Well, 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 yeah. well, we didn't mention that tomorrow night. You know, it's going to be a thirty-minute drum solo. Oh. Um, well, we go out for coffee. Bring a sandwich. Yeah. <laughs> they have food there. Uh, I have to say, first of all, I guess no one will hear this before. We play tomorrow night, right, Ready? So I don't need to say that. Correct. Here's the thing. I'm talking to jazz musicians, and we're getting up in the morning to do television. Uh, I know. No, we're just coming in. Okay. (laughs) (laughs) Hillary from Fox 5, they sent the email, and I was like, I thought, 10 a.m.? I I don't think Jeff's going to want to do that. (laughs) Um, I know Penn will do it, because he's been up at 5 a.m. to do morning, too. Well, that's, yeah. Morning radio uh, was a whole, uh, you know, 25 years of my life wow. was doing morning radio. You get into the uh, you get into the hotel at two, and the 
Gar picks you up at five, oh. and then you're going to go in and be funny. Wow. That's that's the plan. Yeah. And I would do that every city all the time, and that's where you get uh, you get asses into the seats. Yeah. Meeting DJs. And meeting a DJ at four in the afternoon <laughs> is not a pleasant <laughs> That's right. <laughs> it's not like that's good. <laughs> so you move it to 6 a.m., and uh-huh. it's just, it's just uh, unspeakable. I'll also tell you that next... Now last. Sunday, I am going to be in uh, New York City because we're doing gigs in um, in uh, Jersey and in Pennsylvania. We're doing uh, Bethlehem, yeah, Pennsylvania, right, yeah. and which I did not even realize this. Jonesy, did you know this? When the band sings, I rolled into Nazareth. Yeah. I was feeling about half past dead. Yeah. And we all thought that was a biblical illusion. He's no. talking about going to Martin Guitars. Yes. Nazareth. Yeah. PA. Yeah. Yeah. You knew that right away. Oh, well, no, I knew it like 20 years ago. Yeah. No, the um, first time I heard it, I thought that too. I thought it was biblical. Yeah. yeah. No, it's to get yeah. to the Martin Guitar place. Hmm. That's what Robbie Robertson. Hmm. So that's yeah. what Robbie Roberts is singing about. So I will be rolling into Nazareth. Nice. You're gonna feel about up, half past dead. Pick up a nice Martin guitar while you're there. Yeah, well, I played uh, I played the Hank Williams guitar. Wow. They let me play the Hank Williams guitar at the Martin uh, oh. Martin Museum. And they let me do that after what happened on uh, the um, uh, the uh, Tarantino movie. Oh, what? Well, yeah, what was that? It was a horrible what thing. Was the, what they was the destroyed... Tarantino movie? Not uh, The Pulp? Uh, no, 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 much no, later. Much pa- later. Right. Hateful Eight. Hateful, Hateful eight. eight. Thank you, Reddy. They had Kurt Russell using uh, a Martin guitar from the exact period, the oldest one in their collection, and he was uh, supposed to smash it in the scene, and the prop department had the second one to switch in, and they didn't. That was the same prop department from that Alec Baldwin movie, right? Yeah, exactly. Jeez. <laughs> um, uh, so, uh, so on camera... He smashes the most uh, oh. the most valued Martin oh. guitar from the Martin oh. guitar collection, oh. and after that, they let me play Hank Williams' guitar, and I said, uh, "I got to bring this over to Kurt Russell, man." Oh, <laughs> and they said, "Not particularly funny." Oh, oh I bet not. Not particularly I, funny. No, I would because we're lo- we're never loaning another guitar yeah. to any movie again. Yeah. Well. That's, uh, it's so not, see, Tarantino, yeah. you ruined, ruined it for, for everyone. That's right. And I will say that Kurt Russell believed he had the other guitar. Well, yeah, you wouldn't <laughs> do on purpose. <laughs> yeah. yeah. And we are going to be getting up early in the morning, or at least I will be. If the other members of the jazz trio don't show up, Everyone will understand. <laughs> oh, no. Oh, you're playing with the jazz trio now, Ped, right? Yes. <laughs> yes. And your drummer and piano player didn't show up. That's correct. Shocking. The only mystery we have is how the bass player showed up. <laughs> <laughs> uh, that seems like the least likely one to true. show up. That's true. But there he is. There he oh. is. And then we're going to play our record release uh, party. Yeah. Vix. Very excited. Tomorrow night. Now, is there a sound check and stuff? No. No. Oh, um, that's I, all I, well, I, I got four o'clock down. I don't know. Somebody gave me four really? o'clock. Uh-huh. Yeah. No, I don't think there'll be a sound check. At really? Yeah. I mean, not that I, I have was four o'clock too. I figured. Really? So we don't need the piano player for sound check. I guess not. I who, guess not. who would have sent you these things? Uh, um, uh, uh, the uh, Vic sent me. Oh no, I yeah. didn't get. I've gotten nothing. Yeah. I told him I'd be there at six. 
Um, that's that's when I that's when the sound check ends. Maybe he's trying to tell nice, you something. Nice, <laughs> even better. Um, and but, you, uh, you've been told that the uh, the show tomorrow night is at eight thirty, right? Who, who is this M. Alexander uh, <laughs> playing with you guys? No, I mean I'll be there whenever. But I thought that I didn't think you know I. It's yeah, be Josie, pretty... you didn't think that's the whole thing. Anyway, Jeff, thank you so much. Wow, thank, thank you, you so so much. much. And I will promise you. That tomorrow night during the show, I will try my hardest not to vomit. <laughs> that, that's all. That's the only promise you get from me. Because I will tell you, you know this. I've said it. I'm not lying. It's the most nervous I am. Uh, give me, give me Saturday Night Live with a new trick. But boy, when I have to hold that bass and play it, I get terrified. Well, nobody else feels that. So uh, <laughs> That's right. That's you know, right. don't forget the hi-hats on two and four. Okay, <laughs> thank you. Thank you. Thank you. I believe that thing I said I, about not wanting the metronome really clear to the yeah, audience. Yeah. I didn't mean that for us. <laughs> I want the metronome very if, clear yeah, for the audience. Yeah. At the end of your solos, if you could just count us in. So we, we, there's no there's no worry well that's it, that's the hard part about playing with jeff is you're you're playing and all of a sudden i realize uh oh i'm listening well that i have to be ready to come in honestly i i was just two days ago on facebook uh 10 10 years had passed our record came out that we did yeah. 10 years ago yeah. and i don't remember a thing about that record except that i sat there watching you for the entire recording <laughs> i i was you were much more interesting than me and I just sat there and, you know, and I said, holy shit, what's he doing now? And, uh, you know, but, uh, and I expect is more of that tomorrow night. Is he going to use the brushes or is he going to use the sticks? Doesn't, Make up your yeah. fucking book. <laughs> back and forth. Back That's and forth. my magic trick. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> okay, yeah. Okay. And meanwhile, I'm sitting over there going, they're looking at me. Is my fly open? <laughs> <laughs> that was Pet Sunday School. That was. Cha-cha-cha. <laughs> You become naked. Now you want to try the introduction again? See, they're singing now so you don't talk. When do you talk? Okay, ready. Well, no, no. Now they do that. Welcome to Penn Sunday School. That's when, no, no. You'd wait till these vocal finishes. Then you talk for this whole thing. And you time it so you finish talking right now. Ah, that's nice. Then you come in again. Do you understand that? Yes. That's where, that's what those gaps are for. You understand that? I do. You know, we love you. Hey, Matt Donnelly, you got anybody to thank? No. <laughs> and there you go. <laughs> want to thank some people who support us over at Patreon because this podcast would not be possible without the support of our Patreon backers. I want to thank Chris Angel has a question for the three of clubs. Harry, the Gorillagician, Don Dottie, Kevin Burke, David McLaughlin. Old Bear Greg, Carrie, Charlie Sheet says trans rights, no shit Sherlock, and Shelley Ruger, Timothy Carver, Jenny loves Penn like Penn loves Dylan, Steve Bracegirdle, Coach Rat Bastard, Shakespeare's ass sucks canal water, wow, Will Jason, David I want to finger your cunt Brenner, Tristan Connett, Mason Gooch, Sagebrush, Matthew Mishu, Luke Mellon, Jason Andrew Davidson, Peter B. Clark, Matt Williams, Soapy Fresh, Brad Sherlag, Mike Cavanaugh, Rafiki, Steve Feldman, Jonathan P., NewRuleFX.com, Eric M. Ryan, Krista Hatchapy Loop McKinney, Danny Insert Meta Joke Here Ruse, Little Mandar, 
Is it a scoop for picking up crazy cat ladies or a scoop that looks like a crazy cat lady? Jobeth R. Bowers, Adam Stickney, Sex Guy Jimmy D, Nathan Julian, Jeremy in Shanghai, Christopher Harris, Petty Officer Scoop, Daniel, I have a stepladder because my real ladder left home when I was a child, William Wengering, David K, Blue Drinks Film says clear your cookies, baby, and Brandon Knapp. Also, quick reminder, if you need to correct me on any pronunciations, go ahead and just uh, message me through the Patreon website, and I'll hopefully get it in my brain. Thanks for listening.